Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Joe Zaylot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. As a result of the U.S. Supreme Court's Dobbs decision, the issue of abortion is now in the hands of the individual states, and thus the voters. Unfortunately, abortion supporters are actively working to enshrine the so-called right to abortion in state laws and even seeking to change state constitutions. One of the states that will be voting on abortion in the November 2022 midterm elections is Michigan, which will decide on Proposal 3, the so-called Right to Reproductive Freedom Initiative. If adopted, Proposal 3 will amend Mich Michigan state constitution to enshrine the, quote, right to make and effectuate decisions about all matters related to pregnancy, unquote, which includes, but is not limited to, abortion. Joining me today to talk about Proposal 3, particularly what's problematic with it, is Jenny Ingalls, Director of Fertility and Life Ministries for the Diocese of Lansing, Michigan, and also a great friend of the NCBC. Jenny Ingalls, welcome back to Bioethics on Air. Hi, Joe. It's good to be here. Yeah, wonderful to have you back. Um, I was wondering, you're not a new guest, seeing as I said, welcome back to the bio, to Bioethics on Air. Um, you're not a new guest, so we, we don't need the whole bio, but I was wondering if you could give our listeners just a, a kind of a brief overview of your work as Director of Fertility and Life Ministries with the Diocese of Lansing. Sure. So at the diocese, I am working uh, in conjunction with the different parishes and pastors to help educate parishioners, to help educate the faithful on what the church teaches in regard to fertility and life. So mm -hmm. um, while I do work with some end-of-life issues, my specialty is in beginning-of-life issues and human sexuality. So trying to spread the message of the theology, the body, humani vitae, and how you know God has made us good and also in accord with natural law. Yeah. Wonderful. And Jenny, we love you here at the NCBC. We, we do a lot of, we do work with, with uh, Jenny and the Diocese of Lansing, certainly outside of Bioethics on Air, and she's a, um, she's a great asset uh, to the diocese and to the church. And for, for listeners, uh, Jenny also did two podcasts with us, um, they're titled Loving, Living and Loving NFP, and it's parts one and two, and we recorded those back in January of 2021. So, you know, please go back and, and take a listen to those. So, Jenny, with that wonderful introduction in mind, um, I was wondering if we could talk about Proposal 3 today. Yeah. So, lots to talk about. Uh, and I'm sure you're, pro this is, uh, you're probably spending a lot of your time and attention on this proposal um, Every right now. Every waking moment of my existence <laughs> is honest at this moment. <laughs> All right. So in addition to what I briefly stated about it in, in, the, uh, in the podcast introduction, what is Proposal 3? So Proposal 3 is on the ballot um, in, our in our state this year, and it is a amendment proposal. So what that means is it would amend our state constitution. And particularly, this was created and is backed by Planned Parenthood and the American Civil Liberties Union. Mm -hmm. So the ACLU and Planned Parenthood have um, created this. They spent a significant amount of money getting this on our ballot in the state of Michigan. Um, the way that this one ended up on the ballot was that they created the proposal language and collected signatures. 
And then it went through the process of being the signatures being validated and approved. And now it's going to be on our ballot for a vote on November 8th. What it, uh, what it is, is it says it's reproductive freedom for all, but in, in reality, it's this very large proposal that encompasses everything from abortion, sterilization, contraception. Um, they also have in their prenatal care and, and some of the other kind of uh, generalized health care things to make it kind of seem innocuous. Mm -hmm. But uh, it creates a fundamental right to what they have claimed as reproductive freedom right. for every individual in the state of Michigan. Yeah, no matter who that is. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm wondering, and, and this is maybe a, a more of a procedural question, and maybe you don't know the answer to it, but the language you said was, the, the language of the, the amendment was written by Planned Parenthood and um, what was the other ACLU. group? ACLU, sorry. Does... Does the state legislature or anyone, do they have any oversight of that? Was it, was the language just given to them lock, stock, and barrel? Or is it, does, has there been any kind of discussion of it and editing of that language in any way? Are, are you aware? I'm not aware of that. I do know that um, it's because it was a petition drive, you, you don't necessarily need the legislator to go through that process. Got it. Okay. Uh, Jenny, what are yours and the Diocese of Lansing's biggest concerns with Proposal 3? Oh, there are so many big <laughs> concerns. So we've lumped a lot of the concerns into four primary categories. And so th those primary categories are parental consent is mm -hmm. the first kind of huge issue. And within parental consent, there, there are multiple different facets. The second is abortion through all nine months um, for basically any reason. And we can go through the actual amendment to, to kind of explain why abortion through nine months for any reason is actually in this amendment. The third area is um, basically that we would be allowing non-physicians to perform abortions. So uh, in Michigan state law currently, a licensed physician has to perform an abortion. Right. And this would change that. And then the fourth category is that it would um, eliminate and deregulate the health and safety standards that we have for when abortions are performed in the state of Michigan. Wow. So there's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of, a lot of different things to, which one do you want to start with? <laughs> I um, guess. <laughs> well, um, I think, you know, since this is, it, it, a lot of people think this is just about abortion. Let's start with the abortion through nine months. All right. So, so tell us about this. So, d d so I guess the question is, does proposal three permit any kind of abortion at any time? So the proposal three language, um, it seems when you read it uh, up front that it would actually allow regulations for abortion after fetal viability. Mm -hmm. But when you act, when you go through the proposal and read the, the word for word language, what you uh, see is that even though it says that the state has the right to make regulations, you know, after fetal viability, it then goes on to change fetal viability. It puts the state's right to that under what we would call like the strict scrutiny test. Right. And then even past that, it requires that three criteria be met for the state to um, regulate abortions. And one of those criteria, not just 
any of the three. It would actually need to meet all three of the criteria. But one of the three criteria is that it would the state would not be allowed to infringe upon a, an individual's autonomous decision making. Mm-hmm. And the reality is anytime a law is in conflict with someone's autonomous decision making, it, it infringes on it. Right. So there is that uh, kind of aspect that would allow abortion all the way through nine months. Um, really any type of abortion. And then on top of that, in the proposal, the language is that the state cannot um, regulate abortion uh, provided that in the professional judgment of a healthcare professional, it is medically indicated to protect the life, the physical life or the mental health of the mother. It specifically states mental health. So as we know from Roe, and it's accompanying dough. As right. soon as you add that mental health clause, really any type of abortion is permitted. Yeah, and so it's 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 basically the language of it is is to open abortion, any abortion, anytime, essentially for any reason. Yeah, and one of the things that we've um, we've found is that uh, when we're speaking with people, they this idea that, oh, well, abortion won't be legal past viability, Uh, the state will have the opportunity to regulate it. And then they find out, you know, any kind of abortion up to nine minutes or nine months up to the minute of birth, including sex selection abortion. So abortion, because, hey, I found out I'm carrying a boy and I I don't want a boy, I want a girl. Um, Those sorts of abortions would be permitted as a fundamental right in our state constitution. So this is not something that a law could ever change. Right. It sounds like um, many of the provisions, if not all of the provisions of this um, proposal three are very similar to the, and I'm hoping I'm getting the name correct because I'm I'm trying to pull it off the top of my head, the the so-called Women's Health Protection Act that went through the federal government. And it hasn't, uh, I think it passed the House of Representatives, but it has, has not passed the Senate. Uh, but it sounds like it's essentially the same thing. Very similar. I, I don't know the the particular nuances because mm-hmm. I don't have the other one in front of me. But even um, some of the the individuals that you would expect to have voted for that at the federal level were like, "Wow, this goes far beyond what Roe v. Wade ever allowed." And the reality is that that's the same with Proposal Three um, mm-hmm. in regard to abortion. This goes far beyond what Roe ever permitted. Yeah. I, I'm thinking now that, you know, we're talking about changing the Michigan state constitution to essentially um, allow abortion at any time for any reason. But I guess maybe it's really important to kind of step back and say, what is the law concerning abortion in Michigan today as we speak? So Jenny, I was wondering if you could tell us what, what's the status of abortion, the legal status of abortion in Michigan today? I wish that was a simple question. Um, <laughs> it was so, meant to be, but I know it's it, not. It was meant to be, right? So we have a 1931 abortion law. So from, from 1931, our abortion law would um, permit abortion only for life-saving reasons. So mm-hmm. if the mother's life is physically in danger, then she would be allowed to have an abortion. Now, just it, for the record, there are many physicians who say there is no medical reason for a direct abortion. Yeah, there. But, that's true. But the law does allow it. But the law would allow it. Got it. And so the um, the law would permit uh, life-saving abortions. And what it would also do is prosecute any um, any physician who performs an abortion 
who then injures or kills the woman during that abortion. So it wouldn't just prosecute, you know, a physician for performing an abortion. They would have to injure or kill the woman during that illegal act of doing an abortion. And so that's what our current law is. There is an injunction on our law right now, and it's also being sued. So we have three, we have the prosecutors who are being sued by our governor. Um, She is trying to, she's asked this, our Supreme Court to determine whether or not there is a right to abortion under our constitution that could be found Mm -hmm. um, in which the law would be illegal. And then we have an injunction on it from a lower court in Oakland County. So basically we, we sort of have no law at this moment. (laughs) And, um, and so really there's not much that has changed in Michigan since Roe v. Wade. Really? Yeah, Hmm. because we just, we don't have a law and the attorney and the, excuse me, the attorney general will not prosecute. Um, She's anyone for, and a lot of the prosecutors have said they will not prosecute anyone who performs an abortion. So really like from the day-to-day operations, there's not much that's changed. Right. And your governor is Gretchen Whitmer, correct? Yes, she is. And we'll we'll probably come back to her uh, a a little bit later on. Uh, It's it's crazy stuff. Jenny, you mentioned this a bit earlier, but I was wondering if if you could um, talk a little bit about fetal viability. And so how is, how is the definition of fetal viability? Is it changed in proposal three? And if so, how, or how is it impacted? Maybe is is a better way to ask that question. Right. So I think one of the things that's important to remember, um, looking back at Roe v. Wade, right? So when we look at Roe, uh, Roe was founded on this idea of fetal viability, right? So, which is ultimately what the Dobbs case was trying to um, brought back to the Supreme Court was that fetal viability was not workable. It's not a workable landmark. Exactly, exactly. And so fetal viability under Roe was the ability for the fetus to live outside of the mother's womb with or without extraordinary measures. And so, um, you know, in in bioethics, you can get into all sorts of topics on what is extraordinary and what isn't. But that was the standard under Roe. The standard under Proposal 3 is rather frightening. So I'll just read this to you. Mm -hmm. So the fetal viability is actually defined under Proposal 3, which means the point in pregnancy when, in the professional judgment of an attending healthcare professional, and based on the particular facts of the case, there is a significant likelihood of the fetus's sustained survival outside the uterus without the application of extraordinary medical measures. Mm-hmm. So under Roe, your fetal viability would be somewhere between 24 and 28 weeks gestation in most places. We have some pretty um, high level NICUs here in the state of Michigan. And so we actually have right around a 22 to 24 week gestation for many places in Michigan right. that would be considered fetal viability under Roe. Now, under this, you're looking at a fetus that could be 34 weeks, like my son, who would not have been viable under this standard. Um, and so there, it's you know you're talking about babies that are near term who could be considered non-viable if right. they would need extraordinary measures, and that would include not just their gestational age, but if you're th- if you're looking at just the the generic standard of a healthcare professional, given the particular circumstances, you could be talking about a child that has a heart problem. If, 
if they're going to need is is heart surgery an extraordinary measure right you know these are the sorts of things you start asking well is a child who's going to need to go on a ventilator an extraordinary measure is the NICU itself an extraordinary measure and so and then I was we were working for um we were supporting the Democrats for Life rally uh, a few weeks ago, and one of the speakers had a very interesting, you know, t- thought. And her thought was, if Roe helped shape medical fetal viability, and it helped shaped how insurance companies pay for things, then if we change medical or legal fetal viability, will that trickle down into medical? And then maybe insurance companies might not pay for things like NICU stays, ventilators. Right. And so you have these kind of questions on how will it eventually impact insurance? Right. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Very fascinating. Yeah. I've been uh, looking into uh, uh, proposal three for the past few days, and I was really focusing on that definition of fetal viability that you that you just stated here. And every time I read it, something else jumps out at me. And I, I just like to read it again and maybe point out a couple of things and maybe get your take on it. So again, this is defined in the bill. It's section 28 of the bill, I believe, or the, um, the proposal. Mm-hmm. And it says fetal, vi- fetal viability means the point in the pregnancy when, and I found this really curious, and it's something you mentioned earlier, when in the professional judgment of an attending healthcare professional, I, I just realized it never says physician. Right. And in the state of Michigan, we have 40, I think it's 41 or it might be, yeah, 41 different healthcare professionals, licensed healthcare professionals. And that includes um, acupuncturists, it includes dentists, it includes chiropractors. So the question becomes, if our legal definition is a healthcare professional, then does a nutritionist count? Yeah. As somebody who determines fetal viability? Yeah. Huh? You got to wonder. And then moving on, the point in pregnancy went in the professional judgment of an attending healthcare professional and based on the particular facts of the case, there is a significant likelihood, and I, I wonder what significant likelihood actually means, of the fetus's sustained survival outside the uterus without the application of extraordinary medical procedures. I have to admit, I probably read that paragraph five or six times. I never realized until you just said it that it says without the the way it's understood, without the application of extraordinary measures. And that's it's yeah. This basically says, you know, to, you know, a child at 22 weeks, as you said, who's about we're not, you know. We're not going to intubate. We're not going to, you know, do any of the things that would be, you know, a nutrition and hydration. People could say, you know, that that might be an extraordinary means. It's crazy. Yep. And so it's yep. So this this proposal is is redefining essentially fetal viability. And I have heard very very intelligent attorneys who read that particular section and say, "What if a child is born and they're not considered viable?" do we have to then provide them life-saving medical care? So uh, abortions that didn't go through or, Mm -hmm. you know, what about a woman who goes into preterm labor, um, serious preterm labor, and they've argued that this is, could potentially open up the door for infanticide in Michigan as a fundamental right of the parent. Right. And the courts are going to have to figure that one out if this goes through. 
Yeah, I know similar a, a similar concern was raised with proposed legislation in California. So congratulations, Michigan and California are together in, in terms of abortion. We're worse, <laughs> as, our, as our discussion will show here soon. Yeah. <laughs> because at least California keeps theirs only to contraception and abortion. Ours is even farther beyond that as if abortion wasn't horrific enough. Yeah, well, let's kind of maybe go into that a little bit and ask you a question about parental rights. So, Jenny, how does Proposal 3 affect the rights of parents? So Proposal 3 is really, when you look at the actual language of the proposal, it starts off with every individual. And that is a very, very important (laughs) word. Because if they had intended this to be reproductive rights for women, Mm -hmm. it would have said every adult woman or every adult, even if they just intended it for for adults, right? right? But it says every individual. And so as soon as you open up the door to every individual, you automatically include children. So every individual has the fundamental right to reproductive freedom. And so it goes on to then say um, that reproductive freedom includes, but is not limited to, I want to come back to that in just a second, but includes, but is not limited to parental or prenatal care, childbirth, postpartum care, contraception, sterilization, abortion care, miscarriage management, and infertility care. Mm -hmm. So what we're looking at here is that parental consent is taken away if the individual, meaning the child, is seeking out one of these types of care. And it might look, well, you know, Michigan has parental consent laws, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality is if you look further down into the amendment, it specifically states, um, and I talked about this earlier, that the state cannot infringe on an individual's autonomous decision making. So if a 14-year-old girl decides that parental consent laws infringe on her autonomous decision-making to obtain an abortion, then the parental consent law is, um, is invalidated by the state constitution. Right. And so it's very, almost all the attorneys that I've talked to have said parental consent will be the very first thing to go, but it won't just be for abortion. Because as you've seen, the fundamental right to reproductive freedom also includes contraception, sterilization, infertility treatments. And so these expand to the child if the child in his or her autonomous decision making determines that they want to do this. And it's funny because um, the ACLU in May actually stated, I'm going to read you here, um, an article from... uh, from Bridge, Michigan, May 24th article, the ACLU said, our state has put in place substantial barriers that really deprive young people of autonomy to decide what they can do with their own bodies and has forced many young people to carry pregnancy that they are just not ready for. And this was an article, this was the ACLU defending their petition, which is now going to go on the, which is now on the ballot for reproductive freedom. So they, in the very beginning, they automatically, they did not deny that it would actually take away parental consent. Now they do, but they didn't then. Yeah. Uh, It just gets worse and worse, doesn't it? 
<laughs> this one, this is really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And with the parental rights issue, so, and I, I've got a number of, of resources from the Diocese of Lansing, and I'm going to, I'm going to link a number of them to the show notes here so people oh, can, great. people can access them as well, um, including an op-ed that you wrote. Uh, yes. in, in the National Catholic Register. Very well done. So we're going we're to put that one in there too. Oh, thank you. But um, the Diocese of Lansing has claimed that Proposal 3 could also impact parental consent with regard to so-called gender transitioning. Yes. Can you, can you, how do we, how do we, well, in our world today, it probably shouldn't be too difficult to connect abortion with gender transitioning, but, but how, how is that connection made? So um, the individual, you know, the word individual and then the autonomous decision making is what would give a child the ability to eliminate parental consent. When it comes to gender transitioning, so this gets kind of complicated, so bear with me, but Mm -hmm. the word sterilization is under this a fundamental reproductive freedom. Um, And so what that would mean is that sterilization in itself a lot of people think vasectomies, tubal ligations, uh, those sorts of kind of adult sterilizing procedures that have to do with not getting pregnant. But when you look at um, what are other types of sterilizing procedures, gender transition is in itself also a sterilizing procedure. So there's ample medical evidence to show that children who take cross-sex hormones are sterilized. Right. So giving a little boy estrogen atrophies his testicles. Right. So this is a sterilizing procedure. And in addition, you have sterilizing procedures. Uh, There's emerging and I would say um, very good evidence that puberty blockers themselves, uh, although they are sterilizing temporarily, there is good evidence that they're permanently sterilizing. And also, too, if a child wanted to have a, um, a transition surgery, that's a sterilizing procedure. So these are all fall under this uh, idea of sterilization that is um, used in transgender, quote unquote, therapies. Mm-hmm. And Planned Parenthood, even you know our Planned Parenthood right in the Diocese of Lansing, about three blocks away from my work, um, now provides day of transgender therapies. So this, and it's an emerging market that they're trying to break into. Mm -hmm. And so. Oh, they've broken into it. Yeah, they've broken into it. I, I, the last statistic I saw was that in some regions they're doing up to 30% of, of gender reassignment therapies, if you will. And so this is um, part of the proposal that is particularly concerning when you look at this major national push to pressure children into transitioning and then also to eliminate the parents from that decision. Right. So it's kind of a double whammy. You've got taking away parental consent and then going for the, the sterilization, quote unquote. Question, are, are the, the Planned Parenthoods, uh, the Planned Parenthood people, the ACLU people and supporters of this um, this proposal, are they acknowledging this? Is this what they want? Or are they like when the question comes up, it's like, well, wait a minute, how does this apply to, to quote unquote gender transitioning? Are they trying to backpedal away from it? Or are they proud and saying, no, this is what we intend by this? I haven't um, heard them say they intend it, but I also haven't seen anything directly refuting it. 
So leave it at that. Jenny, how does uh, Proposal 3 affect abortion policies on the national level? So um, kind of looking at California, you brought California up. Mm -hmm. So California is already trying this. There's a few states that are trying this. I believe Vermont is one of them. Vermont is going to vote. Yeah, they're they're going to be trying to write. We have a a good friend who's a deacon up there who's been following this for past couple of years. And yeah, they're going to, they're going to enshrine this in their constitution. And right. And I, I'm up. sure I'm, you know, I don't live in California, but I, I think I know enough about it to think that it's probably <laughs> going to pass. Right. So you have, uh, this kind of happening in certain realms where, um, abortion and contraception are being enshrined as reproductive rights in mm-hmm. different state constitutions. This is different. Michigan is different because if this goes through in a largely what we would consider ourselves a purple state, right? So mm-hmm. we don't, we, we swing from, um, you know, Democrat to Republican. We're, yeah, I think, you know, depending on what year you could say that it's a more Republican area, depending on the issue, it's a more Democrat issue. It's kind of that working class Democrat um, type of state. And so if something this extreme goes through in Michigan, it's only a matter of time before places like Ohio and Illinois and Indiana start to see these types of things. Now, Illinois, you have, um, it'd probably go through a little easier than it would here in Michigan. But we have this Midwest, more kind of purpley areas that you would never think would have these very, very extreme measures being put into their constitution. And the, I've been, um, I've been secretly going into a lot of these yes proposal three things since February, since this before it was even a petition and trying to figure out, you know, what is the momentum? What is their messaging? And they, I started getting um, all the information recently that once we defeat or once we get this passed in Michigan, we're moving on to other states. So it's fully their intent to take this nationally. If it gets stopped in Michigan, maybe that will halt the momentum for it in other regions. Yeah. I was wondering if you could um, maybe talk a bit about how the uh, the advertising is, is going for this. I'm, I'm in Pennsylvania. We've got, you know, we have our own races and, and issues here. And I'm, I'm just so sick and tired of all the stupid commercials that are just, they're just ridiculous. I got to imagine in Michigan, the, the push for this is pretty intense, um, TV, radio and everything else. What are, just a comment on that, are, 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 are people, are voters in Michigan being presented with the truth about this proposal from those who support it? No. So those who support it um, have taken the line restore row. So this is what they restore row. This goes well restored. beyond row. I mean, this is well, this it, is way beyond it. So um, I've seen different different analyses from different very brilliant lawyers who say anywhere between forty one and forty seven. So somewhere in that ballpark laws could be eliminated that were not only legal, but enforced under Roe. Right. So you're under Roe. Yeah. Under Roe. So laws that were enforced under Roe would be eliminated under proposal three. That just shows you how extreme it is, is that it, it could actually just take stuff that was at one point, the status quo and get rid of it. Right. Are people who are inclined to vote in favor of this? Do they, do you, and again, I know you can't answer this question, but your take on it, do people understand what's in this? 
No. So anecdotally, I can tell you from just speaking with people from, um, we have a lot of door-to-door canvassers and um, those who are just talking to the average person. And what tends to happen is people usually have no idea what it is, right? right. So, oh, I had no idea. And then, or people will say, oh no, I've read the amendment. It's not in there. And the reality is, um, I don't know how other states do it, but in our state, if you have um, a proposed constitutional amendment going onto the ballot, there's a 100 word summary that ends up on the ballot, not the actual amendment, right? right? So the amendment ends up on a wall, right? So they tape it to the wall. But the 100 word summary is what goes on the ballot. So when you read that, it's very generic. It doesn't explain exactly what it is. Um, and so when people say, oh, I've read the amendment, it doesn't have any of that. Um, they're usually talking about the summary. And then when you break out the actual language to the proposal, they say, oh, I haven't seen this before. And then you start highlighting all the different areas. They're, they're just shocked. Right. Did the ACLU and Planned Parenthood write the summary? Uh, no. So I was actually at that board of canvassers meeting. Um, it was a six hour long meeting. <laughs> it was, it was, it was actually fascinating, but um, that's neither here nor there. So the, there are, there are individuals in the state who um, it is their job to write these things uh, and the board of canvassers discusses them. There's two Democrats and two Republicans on the board and then the attorneys for um, the citizens to support Michigan women and children, which is the coalition against prop three. And then the reproductive freedom for all initiative, which is the Planned Parenthood ACLU, those right. attorneys kind of duked it out. Um, and then they all came to an agreement on what would be on the summary and fascinating. So here's the thing that I found the most fascinating about that canvassers meeting was that the ACLU Planned Parenthood attorney agreed to put on the ballot summary, um, that it invalidates conflicting laws. And so they admitted it invalidates conflicting laws. And so it's interesting when people say, oh no, it's not going to get rid of any laws. It's they agreed to it right there. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Hey, Jenny, what's um, the Diocese of Lansing doing to combat Proposal 3? And, and what other organizations are you working with or other organizations that are working to to fight this proposal? Well, do you mind if we step back to the including but not limited to just quickly? Sure. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I'm jumping ahead. Go oh, ahead. No, I just I had just remembered I wanted to come back to that. I, I really apologize. So no, one of the things that I think... Um, stunned me. And again, I'm not a legal scholar. I'm not a, I'm not a constitutional scholar, but when you when we were looking at Roe and Doe and Casey and all of these, and, and Roe was founded um, under this idea that there was this, there was this numbra of um, undeclared or unwritten fundamental rights in the federal constitution. Right. right? So effectively what um, Dobbs has done is it's, you know, shown that abortion is not a right in the constitution. It's not an enumerated right. It's not explicitly stated in the federal constitution. And so when you're looking at what a right is, when it's explicitly stated in a constitution, you would expect things like if abortion is a right to list abortion. Well, something that's very interesting and very scary to me about proposal three is right here in the wording, it says every individual has a fundamental right to reproductive freedom which entails the right to make and effectuate decisions about all matters relating to pregnancy, including but not limited to, and then it gives this list. Right. So what it's enshrining in our constitution is a future 
where courts get to decide what is or is not a fundamental reproductive right. And so I think it's important to understand that with transgender kind of ideologies that are happening, um, it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that that might be something that could be found at some point uh, as a fundamental reproductive right. I mean, essentially your, your body and its sex could be found to be something that's reproductive. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's <laughs> surprise, it's surprise. That leap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there, that is one of the things that I think um, is very important from a national level too, because we're looking at enshrining vague wording into our constitution that the courts can then duke out later on and determine what is or is not a fundamental right. Yeah. Huh. As you were speaking, I was thinking, I know that there are um, researchers, doctors, whomever in other parts of the world who are actively seeking to implant a uterus into biological males. They're working on this to try to do this. And, you know, you could see where this would become a reproductive right for some, for a, for a man who believes he's a woman to demand and have taxpayers pay for. Why not? What the heck? Um, you know, for him to quote unquote, have a child someday. Yeah. Yeah. And the oh, yeah, fact yeah, that yeah. it says individual opens it up to, to, to anybody. Men. Exactly. So. Oh, yeah. It's a scary, scary piece of uh, work that we that we're dealing with. <laughs> well, it's 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 scary what abortion supporters are doing. Yeah. You know, and, and it really is. And if we can impress that upon listeners, it really is scary, not just in Michigan, but what they're trying to do federally or trying to do internationally. Um, it, it's just insane. And at some point, some point, um, the house of cards has to come crashing down. But until it does, man, we got to fight for it. Um, we ready to go on and talk about the Diocese of Lansing? Yeah. All right. And so who? Um, so here's something interesting. You asked who we're working with. So we're working with um, the the rest of the diocese throughout the state. We're working with, um, under the Michigan Catholic Conference, we're mm -hmm. working with various pro-life groups, Right to Life, Protect Life Michigan. There's a coalition that we've formed, the Citizens to Support Michigan Women and Children. But also we've um, we found ourselves in some kind of unlikely pairings, right? Of, <laughs> of <laughs> um, Democrats for Life is a yep. great group that's been that's been really speaking out about this um, and against this. But one of the groups that has been very vocal in this is the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, right? So this isn't a group that I have found myself working with in the past, and here we are. Um, so this is such an extreme. <laughs> proposal that there's all all sorts of people and all sorts of groups that have come together to say no this is not good for us right yeah i know you see that at the march for life you see like atheists for life mm -hmm. things like that and funny just a few weeks ago we were down in um philadelphia i don't know if, if people know there's a a a, a um a, a gentleman his name is mark hauck who was um involved in a let's just say a kerfuffle in front of a Planned Parenthood clinic. And he was arrested by the Department of Justice for violation of the Faces Act. And it's, it's all baloney. The whole thing is baloney. But there was a, a, a rally for him. And there were a couple of people there, you know, atheists, atheist progressives for life. And I, I, we all, even the person who was emceeing the event kind of, kind of pointed them out and said, hey, you know, thank you for coming and, you know, and, and standing up. And then, you know, and it was, it was really interesting. Yeah. So politics does make strange bedfellows sometimes. <laughs> it, it's been interesting. So that has been um, from, from that level, it's been the, all sorts of people 
from our coalition level, you know, the seven dioceses here in the state of Michigan mm -hmm. have really been in lockstep. We've been working together weekly. Um, we've had several kind of statewide initiatives that we've had. We've had lay equipping webinars and different webinars for priests and for the faithful. From our perspective, from the Diocese of Lansing, Bishop Boyer has come out this from, uh, come out very, very strongly uh, mm -hmm. against Proposal Three. In what so Governor Whitmer, I'll step back. Governor Whitmer um, said she would fight like hell to uh, enshrine abortion into our constitution and into our our everyday being. Yesterday, she came out at a, a meeting and said um, somebody had asked her what was going to happen with all the jobs that we've lost due to COVID. You know, we lost a lot of jobs. We lost a lot of businesses. And her response was, well, because reproductive freedom will be available in Michigan, we'll have a lot of people traveling over state lines to come get abortions. Yep. And so she's, this is her, this is her economic game plan, if you will. <laughs> it's really upsetting. And so Bishop Boye, God bless him, has come out to say, we are going to fight like heaven. You are going right. to fight like hell. We are going to fight like heaven. And so we've been, we're in the middle. We're on day 41 of our 54-day novena. Um, we have have countless amount of videos and town halls, and it's just um, anything and everything we can do to get the messaging out is what we've done. Bishop Boyer and many of the other bishops have had pastoral letters that have been read at every mass um, and, and directives to help get people to read the actual amendment language and understand it. Yeah. Bishop Boyer is a great, uh, great guy. We've yes. met him at his bishop's workshops. He does a great job. So some of the uh, the research I've done, and again, I, I don't know if it's completely accurate, but um, some of the websites that I've looked at are reporting that the, the quote, Reproductive Freedom for All Political Action Committee, that PAC, the, you know, this is the Planned Parenthood and the ACLU, the supporters of Proposal 3, they've received more than $10.5 million in contributions while opponents of Proposal 3 have received less than a half a million. And if my, my math is correct, that's a, that's a 20 to 1 uh, difference. How do you compete against that? So, um, yeah, that was just to get the petition through. That wasn't even for what's actually on the ballot and all of the, the nuances of that. So we, we don't have the kind of money they have. And it's just that simple. We are being outspent in every realm and we are, we are fundraising. We're doing what we can to get our ads run, to get our YouTube videos run, to get things printed and out on signs. But the main way that we compete is on the ground. So we have boots on the ground. We have people knocking on doors. We have people calling every single person in their, you know, phone book. Um, I've had several different kind of text messages where people will text out the main areas of concern on the proposal to everyone in their phone book. And it'll say something like, you're receiving this message from me because you're in my phone book. Um, and so, <laughs> it, which I thought was a pretty ingenious way to do it. And really that's what it is. Word of mouth. Right. Jenny, how can listeners support the coalition that's, that's trying to fight against uh, proposal three? So if, um, if listeners wanted to support us, we have a website. It's supportmiwomenandchildren.org. I'll, support. I'll put a link in the, I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. And well. so it's, we call it support my because for Michigan, but it's MI, <laughs> not MY. 
What was the, what was the website again? Just so that we have support dot org. And I suppose you would accept prayers as well. Absolutely, you you can um, go on the diocesan website and join our fifty four day novena, and you would get some. You would get a daily text message from you know from the diocese from bishop and get some videos and some information on what proposal three actually is. Yeah, I already have the uh, the the diocese. Uh, webpage linked in the in the show notes so people can people can access that if they if they so choose to do it. Jenny, I'm wondering what does polling say? Now grant granted polling, we've always got to take it with a grain of salt, a big time grain of salt here. But what does polling say about proposal three? Do you have a chance of winning this? So pro- polling maybe 12 weeks ago was dismal and sad, right? So when I would look at the polling, it would be something like 63% are going to vote yes. And it's slowly been coming down, slowly but surely. And as of last week, polling is now showing that we're within the margin of error for victory. So, and just to, just to clarify, we're recording this on, on October 25th. So just yes. to give listeners a, a take on where things are. Yep. So we are now within the margin of error for victory. Um, I think in large part that has to do with as people are learning what's in Proposal 3, they're kind of horrified, right? As they should be. As they should be, yeah. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, people will be, uh, you know, will be educating themselves. I do have to ask you this question. Um, I know there's a there's a governor's race uh, in your state as well, too. And, and Gretchen Whit- Whitmer, who, believe me, we know well at the NCBC, uh, ever since she took office, um, she's being challenged by. Is it Tudor Dixon? Is that yeah, how you Tudor say? Dixon. What's going on um, in that race? And, and and looking into your crystal ball, if you can do, what what do you think? What do you think is going to happen there? Um, oh, I uh, yeah yeah yeah. So this is Jenny Ingalls, not Jenny. Let's put that out there right now. Um, Jenny Ingalls, as her own individual person, not associated with the Diocese of Lansing. Um, I I'm seeing that there's a shift going toward Tudor Dixon. So real clear politics. Um, actually has now they they weight things so they right. they look at past polling has it over polled democrats has it done this and they weighted the most recent polling and they have decided that tudor dixon will win by two and a half points ish really yeah so governor whitmer was up by 16 points in general polling i think uh september and then right now, Tudor Dixon in almost all of the polls is within the margin of error for victory. And then Real Clear Politics actually called her to win. Um, I think it was on Monday they did that. So yesterday. And, she, and she's pro-life, correct? Yes, yeah, she's pro-life. And so she's um, she's very pro-life. In fact, uh, Governor Whitmer's primary um, kind of smear campaign is they took a... Um, uh, I guess it was a conversation, not a conversation, it was an interview she, that Tudor Dixon was having with someone. And they've taken excerpts from it and play this little montage of her um, her abortion stance. And they'll basically say, um, Tudor Dixon doesn't believe in abortion to save the life of a mother. And then Tudor Dixon's in the middle of this conversation. She's saying no exceptions. And so it's just, and you hear right. her say like no exceptions over and over again. So it's... Um, it's taken a little bit out of context in that um, she's she's for the 1931 law, but very pro-life. 
Yeah. It, it, the same thing is happening here in Pennsylvania. I will not name names, but in the both in the governor's race and in the US Senate race, the exact same thing is happening. And it's uh, it, it just drives me nuts. Uh, ah, I gotta st- <laughs> we got we got to stop talking about this because I'm just getting upset. <laughs> well, my, my good friend and, and yours, um, Father Justin. Um, every time uh, Governor Whitmer would do something that was not so um, pro life, he'd go, "Good job, Gretchen. Good job." So, <laughs> for you, Father Justin, good job, Gretchen. <laughs> Jenny, what final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners today? Oh gosh, final words of wisdom. Um, we need to keep praying. This is the very beginning of the battle. We've yep. had a victory in the overturning of Roe v. Wade and all of the the cases that followed that, but we are just now starting the battle for life, for parental rights, for everything that we value as Catholics is just in danger. And mm-hmm. if we do not pray and fast and give alms, um, if we do not stand up for what we believe in, and if we do not fight back with everything that we have, especially with our Lord Jesus Christ, then we are going to be finding ourselves in a very sad and um, death-filled world. Yeah. I've said before in other places, and I'll, I'll say it here, I mean, Dobbs is wonderful. And I think long-term, great fruit is going to come from the Dobbs case. But in the short term, uh, it's going to be tough. And we're seeing it. And we're seeing the abortion supporters doing absolutely everything they can um, to try to, to enshrine you know, to enshrine abortion and other things, you know, as you're saying here. So, Jenny, God bless you. God bless Bishop Boyer. God bless everybody in Michigan who is seeking to, seeking to combat uh, proposal three. So Jenny Ingalls, thank you for joining me today on Bioethics on Air. Thanks, Joe. For more information on the topics discussed today and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter, as well as our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on Bioethics on Air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at jzalot at ncbcenter.org. Archived editions of the podcasts are available on our website. Please hover on the Blogs and Podcasts button on the main page and then click Bioethics on Air. Finally, if you enjoy our podcasts, please subscribe to them And if you would like to support them, as well as the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, go to our website, again, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red Donate button. Thank you for listening, and may God's peace be with you.